0: Amen. Thank you so much. Have you had fun today in worship? Now, it is about exalting the name of Jesus, but it's okay to have fun along the way. Thank you so much to our praise band. Thank you for leading us in worship today. Would you find in your Bibles, smartphones, tablets, Bibles that might be under this would be a good passage for you to be able to have right in front of you? Second Samuel chapter eleven. Second Samuel chapter eleven. And uh, we're glad to, glad to see you today. Appreciate you being here. It's a good day to be in the Lord's house. I want to Uh, Take a uh, point of personal privilege, I guess, and encourage you. Next week is a special day for us, special time in worship and lunch and afterwards. But we're recognizing four of our staff members with anniversaries. One who's been here 23, who have been here 10. And uh, you'll be hearing some from them as well. But we'll be recognizing how the Lord has used them. And uh, you want to come be a part of that. I want to encourage you as your pastor come take part in the worship service. Hang around for lunch afterwards. It will be a special lunch that you will not want to miss. What we're having is a secret, but it's no rubber chicken. It's not even Chick-fil-A. But you want to come and be a part of that? I say it's... it's the worst kept secret probably ever at Parkway, but you want to come and eat lunch with us. It'll be a great time to rec- uh, recognize these uh, who have been in our church. And uh, listen, first time we've uh, passed this way before to have these kinds of anniversaries. And so many who've been here 10, Dick's been here 20. and uh, But we attribute that, of course, uh, to you folks who we love to be able to work with and work alongside. And we're glad to be a part of the Parkway Baptist family. We are continuing our series now as we... Make our way through uh, the life of David as we talk about, of course, that he's still king. Not David, but Jesus who is king of kings, Lord of lords. And he helps us to be able to conquer any giants in our lives. So we are today, 2 Samuel chapter 11. This now is the word of God. We'll read verses 1 through 19. You want to keep your Bibles open as we'll look a little closer at those and maybe some other verses around. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to David, David asked Joab how Joab was doing, how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and all the servants of my lord are camping in an open field. Shall thou then go down to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. In the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today. I want to I share with you uh, lyrics from a song called uh, Up on the Roof that I thought might be appropriate today. So when I come home feeling tired and beat, I'll go up where the air is fresh and sweet. I'll get far away from the hustling crowd and all that race noise down in the street. Oh, on the roof, that's the only place I know. Look at the city, baby. You can hear the rhythm I've got. All night, the stars they put on a show for free. And darling, you can share it all with me. Keep on telling you that right smack dab in the middle of my town. I found a paradise that's trouble proof. And if this old world starts getting you down, there's room enough for two up on the roof. Written by... Carol King, first put out by the Drifters, then later by James Taylor. Surely one of those names, somebody here probably has uh, seen. David, the line in that song, a paradise that's trouble proof. I bet David came to a time that he wishes that that were so. Here we have David, the chosen one, the king of God's people, the man after God's own heart, finds himself up on the roof, a place that I'm sure that he has been many times before maybe as a king to get away from the pressures of being king, maybe to uh, with all the busyness and all the success he has, certainly he was busy. But this time it would lead to a series of one sin after another, of lust and adultery and cover up and murder. Then a confrontation with the prophet of God, a heart wrenching repentance that was accepted by God, but consequences that including the death of a son, the rebellion of another, and stain upon the kingdom. Well, what are we to make today of this seemingly out of character episode in David's life? Would that we could have concluded our study of David in 2 Samuel chapter 10 because in that chapter we find David even having more success on the battlefield. In fact, the first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel records David to rise to power in his accomplishments, proving himself worthy of the kingdom and following God's plan. David had become a tower of strength, the hope of Israel, the picture of a godly leader. Then comes chapter 11. That you could mark chapter 11 as the downfall of David. Now, this is not the end of all the good things that we could say about David, but we've got to go through some pretty much some hard valley here before we come to a time that we could say, do as David has done. Now, here's some preliminary stuff that I want to, uh, to maybe get out of the way before we get to the heart of the message. And the first one is this. I don't know that I've necessarily been looking forward to this or I've come to it with some anxiety. Now, I'm always looking forward to worship, always looking forward to being with you here on Sunday in the study of God's Word. But when I think of all the stories of David, many of those that we've looked at, and we're kind of on the home stretch now, but you think of David and Goliath, David when he's hiding in caves, when he doesn't kill King Saul, we think of David when he conquers Jerusalem as he becomes the king. He brings the ark to Jerusalem. And last week, I loved the lesson about Mephibosheth, showing kindness to the king's grandson who is crippled, and he becomes a son to the king. We talked about he goes, on uh, last Sunday in the verses that we looked at, he goes from living in low debar bar to being low to billionaire. By the way, I made that phrase up and say that was fun, but here we kind of want to look at all of God's word, so we do what is necessary. I, I, Prefer much rather than talk about David at his best than is David at his worst. I was thinking about in the early service today, come to find out my microphone was on and it was hot uh, during one of the last hymn or the last songs that we sang this morning. Which means those here probably couldn't hear because they were all singing, but everybody who was listening live stream probably heard my voice as if it were solo. So I'm apologizing for that, but I've got to tell you that I, I got to tell you I was giving it my very best, even though I didn't know nobody was listening. So you can know today I'm at least giving it our very best. Uh, second, I want to tell you that you're in a you you're in a safe place. I have found sometimes that every now and then people will be worried about what I might say from the pulpit. But for our purposes, I'm seeking to guard my lips, but to share what is necessary in a way that would be fitting to all ages, from kids to even old folks like me. We'll share what the Scripture tells us in hopes that maybe even among family members and friends, it may be something that you might even want to discuss later. Having said that, we will find application for more than one kind of temptation or one kind of sin. But we will talk about sexual temptation and how to fall keep from fall, falling into the trap of a downward spiral of sexual sins for which the Bible has much to say. In one sermon some time back, I mentioned sex, or we talked about sex or something, and, and uh, a mom came to me later, exasperated, and she said, thanks, Brother Jeff. Now I have to tell my children about sex. And I kind of uh, gave this advice. I recommend that you tell them that there are two sexes, male and female, and then say, do you have any questions? And then just step back and maybe see what happens. So I understand her Her children were young. They were probably 16 and 18 at the time, perhaps. <laughs> but to parents, I would say that your children are going to be talking about these kind of things long before you're ready. Better to be a little uncomfortable in church, but a place to where we can understand and we can grow and not miss the opportunity to be able to learn from God's Word, how to be able to resist temptation and allow the Lord to keep you on the right path or to bring you back to where you need to be, or maybe even to be able to help others. First few verses that we read today helps to be able to understand that we might be able to see the process that David went through to sin. It's a process that's been repeated many times in the Bible and many times in lives before, during, and since. And that we might be able to stop the progress. That we might be able to stop the progress of the downward spiral of falling to temptation or sin. So we're going to, Focus just on the first few verses for just a moment. And we'll talk about four verbs to describe what David did. And the first one is this, is that David saw. Oftentimes the process begins with the eye. consider David may not have been as some have made to where he was supposed to be at the time. The first two verses are pregnant with information, maybe some pun intended. But David and the Israelites had already had many victories over the Ammonites, the city that is mentioned there is the capital of the Ammonites. They were continuing to go to battle. We are told it's the spring of the year, the time in which the kings go out to do battle. But David did not go out with the Israeli army for this particular assault. Now much has been made about uh, that he perhaps should have been in the battle, should have been with his men. And, and I have no doubt that David will come to a time and a place in which he wished he had gone to battle, wished he had not been on the roof on this particular occasion. But on further investigation, this was not the first time that David did not go out with his men. And later on, we find in the same book that, the fact, his men, his leaders will tell him that he is not to go out to battle with them so that nothing will happen to him. But the problem went far beyond the fact that he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But please feel free to acknowledge that you and I need to keep our focus on serving the Lord and we do not need to find ourselves in places that would bring further temptation. If you are an alcoholic, you probably want to stay out of the bars. If you have problems with gambling, you probably want to make your trips to Las Vegas and the, to casinos to be kept to a minimum. Inappropriate appropriate to this lesson, if your great temptation is of a sexual variety of which all many or most are not immune, then maybe you want to stay away from R-rated movies and certain and many television programs and varieties of literature and the list could go on and on, including where places where temptations are at their greatest. If what you get from the story is David, is to stay away from temptations as much as possible, that's a very good application. Having said that, we understand that there is no place to avoid all temptation, but do not put yourself in situations of greater temptation. However, it does not seem that David was on the roof of his palace, which was surely the highest building in the city of Jerusalem, in order to be a peeping tom. There's no evidence that he was on that roof in order that he might find unsuspecting women to spy on. These chapters leading up to chapter 11 are about David following the Lord's plan and having unprecedented success on the battlefield and even in spiritual and in godly matters. Remember when David first came on the scene in order to fight Goliath and he comes and he's ready. He knows the Lord's gonna help him to fight Goliath. What did you think of the Israeli army at that time? Well, no one was willing to fight Goliath, not even King Saul. Were they a bunch of cowards? Or maybe at the least they were God's people, but they were not putting a lot of trust in God, little faith in him, until David comes along on the scene, until David particularly becomes king. And now the success of David's leadership and his influence, particularly on his generals, particularly Joab in this story, it's such that David does not have to go out every time to do battle. David's not going with the army to do battle. is evidence of the success that the Lord has given him. I recently met a gentleman who had worked his way up to the top of his chosen profession. And in his conversation, he talked about the reason for his success. He said, I let the people that I work with and the people that work for me know that I care for them and that I love them. He said, and then I expect from them excellence in everything they do and I never lower the bar of excellence. And then he said, but also let them know that I'm going to work harder and let them see that I'm working harder than anyone else in my profession so that they might be successful. I thought that's a pretty good formula for success. I thought that translates even into ministry and church work, although we probably would want to add, we're also going to trust God for everything and all that we do. Well, that's what David did as the shepherd of Israel. He cared for God's people. He was the one who required excellence for the plans that the Lord had for him in Israel on and off the battlefield. And he was the greatest warrior on the field of battle. No one surpassed all that David did for the kingdom or all that David did in success of what the Lord had called him to do. So David, the picture of David on the roof is not a picture. I don't think the writer was trying to tell us that David's in the wrong place. That's what you need to see. I think what he was trying to show us was... That David is the man of great success in the Lord's hands. He's on top of his roof. He's on the top of Jerusalem. He's the top king of Israel, top of his game. The nation of Israel is at the greatest place and the strongest up to this point in existence. I cannot in good conscience say, look at what David did wrong by staying home. Nor can I say that David sinned the moment he saw a woman bathing, even though she was beautiful. It's not the look that is the sin. It is the second look. It is perhaps the stare or it is what happens next. No doubt the process had begun when David saw, but then it's what happened next. Then David sought. David sought her out or the English Standard Version. He inquired. He asked about her in order to be able to find out more. We read just a moment ago, 2 Samuel 11 verse 3 is where the temptation became sin in the heart. Now, if our purpose today is to learn how not to fall in temptation, then we can see from this passage that David is in a vulnerable state. But not because he's at a low point. It is because he is at a high point in his life. He's on a mountain, and it's a dangerous place to be because sometimes when you're on the mountain or having a mountaintop experience, it is when you are ready to fall the hardest. It is a time... It's a dangerous place when you also when you have all the power and authority as you please as dangerous. It's dangerous at the top. Now we could compare athletes and millionaires and stars who've fallen in some form or fashion. But if they're not professing believers or worshipers of the one true God, it's a whole different ballgame altogether. However, we do hear often of maybe well-known Christian leaders or pastors who have fallen into temptation and had to step down for sin or indiscretions or controversy. You know, during the week, we have several Bible studies always going on, and many of our Bible studies use the video series, video, we show a video, then you discuss it, and from time to time, I'll, it's not my usual practice, but from time to time, I'll use a video, maybe in a Bible study during the week, and Three times since I've been at Parkway, I've used a video series. And while showing the video series, the Christian leader or the pastor has had to step down from his position because of controversy, indiscretions, or sins. So I'm thinking about next time I'm going to use a video series, I'm going to call them up and I'm going to warn them, I'm about to use your video series. (laughs) Something may be happening or maybe to plead with them, please hold on until I get through. Then you can do whatever you want. I probably won't say that. When David sought her out, He found out she was married to Uriah, one of David's warriors. Well, that should have stopped him in his tracks right there. David knew God's word. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. When lust or desire becomes the central focus and not pleasing God, conscience goes out the window. This can be true of any temptation. Temptation is not a sin. And we may think to ourselves sometimes, well, what's the harm in taking just a little bit closer look? What's the harm in finding a little bit more about this particular temptation or more about this particular thing that could lead us in? But unless you stop the process, it is a slippery slope. For it is true what they say, if you get too close, you're going to get burned. But also, not only David saw, David saw, but David sent next in the process. He sent for her. He's not only asking questions, but now he's taking action and wrong action, and it is the next step in the downward spiral. Uh, This chapter is unique among the chapters, maybe even in this book, in many ways, but one way is that there's no commentary as to how David or Bathsheba or anybody in this feels about or what they're thinking. Now, surely we could read between the lines, but the writer, unlike many of the chapters in this book, the writer does not tell us, about what people are thinking or feeling tells us just the facts. We're not even told what God is thinking about what's going on while the story is going on. It's it's not until the very last verse in this chapter. Don't look yet; too late for some of you. But we'll talk about that. But we're not told how Bathsheba feels about this. Some people are fairly rough on her. What was she doing taking a bath where the king could see? Uh, did she put up a fight? Was she glad to have a rendezvous with the king? Or can you really say no to the king? These questions are pure speculation because we're not told, but the few details that we are told here lets us know that we need to be on guard. David, he'd lost his guard. He let his guard down and he was falling fast. Our our youth, our high schoolers and junior highs, are doing a study or they have done a study called guardrails about spiritual guardrails that you should have in their life in order to keep them in the center of God's will and to keep them from falling into temptation. Consider for a moment what guardrails, spiritual, physical guardrails that you have in your life. Now, as you might expect as a pastor and a preacher, a lot of groups and Bible studies that I do during the week. I have a Monday afternoon or Monday lunch group that I meet with, discipleship group. I've got an early morning Tuesday men's Bible study uh, teach a Bible study on Wednesday night. I'm always preparing for the next message or the next sermon. Uh, pretty good at uh, reading my Bible and praying every day. My wife and I pray often for our family and for the church and other matters. We could do more, but that's the life of the preacher, though I realize I'm as vulnerable as anyone. Sometimes in certain moments, I, I wonder why God has allowed me or why He has called me to be a preacher. Many times I've wondered that over the last uh, four or more decades. and I've come to two conclusions, and one of them is this. One is because the Lord wants to take the weak and the foolish to demonstrate His strength and His wisdom. And certainly believe that that is the case. If anything happens that is good, if the Lord can use me, it is only because of the Lord. Now, I say that recognizing that one time Adrian Rogers said, he said, the only thing worse than a prideful person is a person who demonstrates false humility. So when it comes to pride and humility, I'm up and down and constantly asking the Lord to help me to be see, only see who I am in Christ. The second reason that I have concluded of why God called me to preach is this. And I'm not kidding about this, but I, I can picture the Lord maybe having a conversation with himself or maybe a heavenly nominating committee sometime before I began preaching and say something like this. If we don't keep this boy in church every day, He's going to be one of the worst disciples of Jesus that we ever had. Can I tell you, I need guardrails. How about you? If you do not have guardrails, time in God's Word, regular prayer, a growing love for people, a support group, and a place to serve, you're going to have a hard time stopping the downward spiral of sin. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 4, David sins for her, he lays with her, and she returns to his house. So we see the process David saw, David sought, David sent, and then David sinned. Though the moment that he desired her in his heart and allowed that desire to grow or to fester, he had sinned. Can you see the process? When it comes to Adam in Genesis, when he ate of the forbidden fruit, we see a similar process perhaps. His was a look with the eye, lust in the heart, and a leap into sin. For Eve, it was a little bit different. It was... Hers began with doubt and then delusion and then desire before she ate of the fruit. But for most men, probably because we're more of a simple nature, temptation begins with the eye. Although the distinctions between men and women's processes towards sin are getting blurred. But Scripture helps us with this. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 says this, For everything in the world desires the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. In fact, you probably could see these in David's life already in what we've talked about, certainly the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, but it may have began with the pride of life. So his may have been opposite order of what we're reading here. But if you can see the process, then you can, with the Lord's help, stop the progress or the downward spiral. And the quicker you stop the process, the better off you are. Or the quicker that you repent and confess and turn from sin, and turn to claim the forgiveness of Jesus, the greater opportunity to walk and to please Jesus. David, we understand, traded a few moments of pleasure to a world of consequence and trouble. But there is one indisputable fact that we find in God's Word, and probably that you have already experienced, and it is this, all sin leads to trouble. Repentance and faithfulness will grow fruit to be used for your benefit and God's glory and kingdom work. The sins of a sexual nature are especially troubling. Consider that the Bible has a lot to say about this particular temptation and sin. A couple of verses. One is 1 Corinthians six eighteen that says this. Free from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. It's the only temptation in which we find the Bible telling us that when you see it coming, run for your life in the other direction. Yet in our world today, it seems to be so commonplace. So to our children and to our young people and our adults, allow David's sin to serve as a warning to stay within God's plan of intimacy between husband and wife alone and as God's gift And understand this, God's plan is not arbitrary, as if He needed to realize to give you some rules. So this is just one of the rules that He chose, maybe on a whim. No, but it is because God knows what's best. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for your future and your self-worth. He knows what's best for your emotional and your spiritual and your physical health and for your husband and your wife and your children. Trust Him in this. That's why Jesus said in Matthew five twenty eight in the Sermon on the Mount, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's a sin when the look turns into lust. If you can stop the progress before the lust, then all the better. But if not, repent and don't let the lust continue the downward spiral. Hey, I'm not telling you anything new, but the Lord wants to give you even more incentive in order to be able to trust him. I want us to continue looking at the passage that we've read to discover what the more incentive might be to follow him in this particular area and in all areas. And as we read the story, we recognize it's not over, and the results of David's sinful fling leads to much more. In order to make it personal, uh, as we talk about what happens next, let's look at phrases that you might say that might indicate that you need to repent. And hopefully to help us to avoid the pitfalls of unrepentant sin. Now, I put these in first person. These are phrases that you and I might say, but in order to make it personal. But the first one is this. If it's a phrase that if you say this, you might need to repent. And that is, I would never, I would never fill in the blank. We've all said this, or at least we thought it, to see someone something someone is doing and say, well, I would never do that. We know pride goeth before a fall. And often the very thing that we say that we would never do, that might be the place to where we fall the hardest. Or maybe some things we truly would never do, but then there's another area of temptation where you or I are vulnerable and we need to be on guard and need the Lord's strength. Later on in 2 Samuel chapter 28, David is listing 30 of his top men, 30 of his closest and best warriors that there are. They're actually 37, but they're called David's 30. Uh, David's 30 warriors sometimes. More than 30 of David's closest men for whom he could depend. You know who's in the list of the 30 or the 37? It's Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba. I'm sure that if you had asked David before this time... He would have said, I would never covet nor lay with another man's wife, especially not one of the 30. And I never would have one killed or murdered. But after he failed to stop the progress of temptation and sin and began the dow- downward spiral, we, we read what happened in verse 5 to where it said, The woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant we'd like to have some confidence that we would never do this or never do that. But if you've said, I would never, you may have already allowed pride to cause you to begin to slip. Because not only is God listening, but the devil's listening. And he knows pride is just one step away from a fall. Instead, say where I'm weak, I know that he is strong and depend on Jesus to help you with every temptation. Here's another Phrase that if you say this phrase, if this is one of yours, if you do this, then it may be that you need to repent. I can scheme my way out of this. I can scheme my way out of this. When David found out Bathsheba was pregnant, he came up with a plan. Let me remind you of that plan, verses 6 and 7. We read it earlier. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, how the war was going. We're not told what Uriah thought, but surely he thought, this is why you've called me from the battlefield? You want to know how everybody's doing? Well, maybe he considered it completely legit. After all, he was uh, one of David's 30. And perhaps it's exactly what he thought that maybe David was calling him home for. But David had thought this through. He'll come home. He'll go to be with his wife. No one will be the wiser when she becomes pregnant. They'll just think that the baby is his and he'll think the same thing. But he didn't go home, did he? He stayed in the soldiers' barracks instead. And when David asked him why he didn't go home, Uriah gave this noble answer. He said, the ark is in the tent. Most of Israel sleeps in booths. My general and my fellow warriors and soldiers, they're all sleeping out in an open field. He looks at David, he said, I would not dishonor you and I would not dishonor them by going to my home. Plan A did not work. Plan B was to invite him to dinner. Stay another day or two. I'm going to invite you to dinner and to get him drunk. But he still didn't go home to his wife. How out of character and how disgraceful for the man of God to be scheming and deceptive in order to get him out of a jam. If you found yourself scheming or if you found yourself having to be deceptive or manipulating others in order to get you out of a jam or to make you look better or to get ahead, recognize how disgraceful this is for one who claims themselves to be a child of the king of kings and who carries the name of Jesus. If so, repent of the scheming and ask God how you can simply depend on him more and more and not your own devices. But then also, you might need to repent if you have ever said or do say, I will sin to cover up sin. I will sin to cover up sin. Plan A didn't work. Plan B didn't work. David will resort to plan C. And while we'll often say sin is sin, David has fallen to his lowest place and willing to commit a most despicable act in order to cover his sin. Remind you again, verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting the draw back from him that he may be struck down and die." just so that you will not miss what's taking place here. See, this needed to happen fast. Uriah needed to die pretty fast so that he could marry Bathsheba. And so it needed, the word needed to get to Joab. So here Uriah carrying his own death warrant on the battlefield to present to his general. Got to tell you, that's cold. We have here, of course, and understand for this plan to work, that all these things needed to fall into place. And he said, "Put, put Uriah in the battle. And when the battle is heavy, draw everyone else back but Uriah. Well, Joab switched the flip a little bit. Joab put Uriah with those whom he knew were valiant men willing to fight and sent them in harm's way knowing that many would die and that Uriah would just be among the many who had died. And thus more were on David's, more who had died were on David's hands. When David got the word of what was brought to David of the battle and those that died, his reply was, well, go back and tell Joab, don't worry about it. These things will happen in war. If you read all the chapters, you would find that it was needless bloodshed and David was always against needless bloodshed, but all was done to cover up his sin. But it seems that his plan has worked. He marries Bathsheba. Baby is born. All things are well except for one factor that he forgot. God's always watching. Look at the last two verses in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 26 and 27, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What an ominous last line. Maybe you would never actually say, I'll sin to cover up sin. But sin left unchecked, sin left unconfessed, especially among those who call themselves children of the living Lord Jesus, who loves and cares for you and stands ready. We understand that it is the sins that continue one after the other if it is not given to Him. But you need to remember, of course, how much the Lord loves you, how He is your advocate, how He wants to forgive you and put you on the right path. If we don't go to Jesus with our sins... It's most often because we know that He is displeased with our sin, or is most often because we know what the Lord wants, but we don't want to do the things that the Lord wants, or we're afraid of what He might ask us to do. But here's the better reason to confess sin and walk in obedience. It is because He is the loving, heavenly Father who sent His Son to die for you. You are a child of the king, and if you know Jesus, you have experienced His love firsthand. There may be consequences of sins. We'll talk more about that in the next chapter. But Jesus took your judgment for you. And yes, you want to trust that Jesus' way is the best way for you. And that's one incentive to say, I'm going to do things God's way because I know that's best for me. But your number one incentive is because King Jesus, your Almighty God and Savior, loves you and cares for you. And your number one reason and incentive is because you want to please Him. And that's your desire. Anybody keeping up with uh, baseball and the home runs? Aaron Judge, he's my favorite, 60, needs 62 in order to break the uh, uh, season record for most home runs in one season. Albert Pujols joined the 700 club this weekend and 700 home runs. Listen, there's only two or three ever hit 700 home runs besides him. Let's see, There's, there's Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron. Who's the other? Oh, Barry Bonds, yeah. Isn't there an asterisk by Barry Bond's name because of his supposed steroid or alleged steroid use? Will there forever be an asterisk by David's name? Uh, Three or four generations later in the book of 1 Kings, uh, they're comparing kings to David, and one particular bad king, a descendant of David, and Writer writes, because of David, they're not going to take the lamp away from the kingdom or lamp away from Jerusalem. And said this, 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5. It says, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. There's an asterisk by David's name. You know, it might be a good lesson for us. You know, you want to be faithful to God because you don't want an asterisk by your name. But that's not the lesson that we have in light of all that we've read about David and all we read, particularly here in the New Testament and what Jesus did for us. Because what we understand is because of what Christ has done, because He shed His blood on the cross, as far as heaven looking at you, there'll never be an asterisk by your name because of sin. Because the blood of Jesus has taken all of our sins away. What a great incentive. To be able to say, yes, Lord, we want to please you in all things. I got one other phrase that if you say this, it may be that you truly need to repent. And that is this, I have no sins to confess today. You might think that would be a good thing. Well, I've not sinned, so I have no sins to confess today. But can I tell you, if you, at any particular time or any day of your life, if you come and that's how you feel or that's what you're thinking, David certainly did not confess his sins and he had many to confess not until the next chapter. It may be that you need to draw a little bit closer to the Lord Jesus because the closer you are, the more that you're going to see the imperfections in your life and how you need to make the changes in order that you might be like Christ. Now, if you're taking notes today, don't put your notes away because I really I want to give you the one sentence of the lesson particularly, one, for one sentence for today, and it's this, and it's found in First John chapter 2 in verse 1. Where it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you need an advocate today? If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you already have an advocate, a helper, a one who's come alongside, one who stands in your place so that you might not be held guilty because of your sin. But let me ask you: do you need an advocate today because you don't know Christ? You need to put your faith in Him today. You've already discovered perhaps that if you follow the ways of sins, you know that it leads only to destruction. Or you may be living this life or someone listening today may be living such and may be thinking that, uh, uh, you know, life is pretty good maybe without the Lord. But can I tell you that the Lord has something even better in store, better in mind, not only for this life, but also for eternity. And so you need an advocate today. Call upon Him. Ask Christ to forgive you your sins. And ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life. Let's pray today. Father God, as we come to you now, we're thankful that we can lift up praise in worship today. Praise your holy name. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what great times we can have exalting the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the prayers that have been lifted today. We know that you hear every prayer and that we can come to you even now. Thank you for the prayers in the seats. And even now, Father, that we know that you're hearing is People are calling upon your name, either asking for forgiveness, confessing sin, or thanking you for walking with them and helping and giving them strength. And we know, Father, you're going to continue to be at work in this service. And even in these last few minutes, may our focus be on you and not what is next. We pray, Father, if there's one here, one listening today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may even this story of David serve as a warning or even an understanding that we need to give all of our heart, all of our life, Over to our Lord Jesus for today and for eternity. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. It's in Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.